Let's open our Bibles today, please, to the book of Mark. Second Gospel, the book of Mark, chapter 6. We're hitting some of the high spots in the Gospel of Mark. Today we like to talk about facing the storms of life. We want to begin reading in verse number 44. If you were here last week, remember we talked to, to you about the feeding of the 5,000. And so verse number 44 addresses that. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. Whenever we think about the feeding of the 5,000, we always just come up with that figure, but there were, there were many more than that. Uh, there could have been at least 15 to 20,000 that Jesus fed on that occasion. Right, right after the feeding of the 5,000, verse number 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he sent the multitude away. You know, this was a high spiritual point. Uh, it couldn't have gotten any higher. If you would have been there in this environment, you would have said, this is the greatest thing I ever saw. This little kid offered his lunch. A few fish, a few loaves, and look what's happened. Uh, but it had to come to an end. Verse 45, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side of Bethsaida while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw them straining at rowing. Uh, water is a dangerous thing. Some of you have had some pretty bad experiences on water. Uh, these people were facing a pretty bad experience right here. They were rowing and rowing and not going anywhere. Uh, they weren't getting to their destination. For the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. For those of you who like to underline things in your Bible, underline that, do not be afraid. That's our Lord's message to those who are in trouble. Don't be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. You know, it takes a lot of experiences in our life to really bring us to the place uh, that we're really ready to, uh, uh, to walk with the Lord. Every now and then people are saying, you know, God is just trying to get my attention. And sometimes God puts us through things that, that get our attention and, and then we, he thinks he has our attention but doesn't really and he has to put us through some other things. Uh, this is uh, one of the terrific miracles in the Bible. It's mentioned three times here in Mark, once in Matthew chapter 14 and once in John chapter 6. If you can just place yourself in this situation this morning, these people had just been fed by Jesus as he broke the loaves and the fish, and he distributed it to them. They probably thought, you know, this is the best thing we've ever been to. I never want this day to end. Have you ever had a spiritual experience like that. I don't want this day to end. Well, you know, I've been there many, many times. Uh, sometimes it's at a retreat 
Our church is a retreating church, as you know. We have the men's retreat, the ladies' retreat. Uh, we have special things. We had the ladies' event downtown. The ladies came back. They were all excited. And that's a good thing because we all face so many difficult situations in life. And we need a break. We need a time that we can just like clear our head out and think about the real issues of life. And the real issues of life are the things of God. How you relate to that, what God's doing in your life. Well, these people hated for this day to end, but it had to. Uh, the word immediately is mentioned many times in the book of Mark. And the reason why is because Jesus here is presenting himself as the servant who is, who is working the ministry of the Lord with passion. Uh, you know, we all only have so much life to live, don't we? And it's all quite short. And Jesus said in John 9, 4, listen, he said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no man can work. There's a, there's a commercial on television right now that's, um, it, I think it's some kind of a um, health care. And the, at the end of the commercial, the guy gets on the motorcycle. And uh, the last line, I think, is I want to leave this life exhausted. And I thought, you know, that's not a bad idea at all. Because there are many people that are trying to save their life so they don't get exhausted. But Jesus said, if you lose your life for my sake, you'll really find it. And so Jesus is this example here of, of ministry, and he's working the ministry, may I say it, with all of his might in the book of Mark. He's a servant that is facing his calling with energy and passion and things are happening quickly and he said this is the reason why I have to work while I still have time to work you and I can apply that to our life you know we I could take you and some of you have been there recently to the nursing homes and there are people in there that just wish they could have another rerun at it you know they just wish they could come to church they just wish that they could expend some energy for the Lord. They just wish that they could cooperate with the people of God and give it, give it everything they have, but they can't do it anymore. Their time has passed. Jesus said there's a night coming when no man can work. And so let's think about this crowd. Jesus is feeding the 5,000. He sends the, the group into three different directions. The giant crowd, he sends them home. They have to live their life. They have to go back to work. Uh, they have to go back to school. The disciples he sent away on a boat because they, listen, they were still trying to find some rest. And remember, when they got to the place where they fed the 5,000, there was no rest there. So they're still trying to find a place where they can rest. And Jesus, the Bible says, went to pray. So they went in three different directions. After the blessing... You just think back this last year in your life. Were there some times in your life that you were extremely blessed and, uh, and you kind of regretted the thought that it had to end, but you had to get back about your life again? Well, put yourself in this situation. After the blessing. Now, this big crowd that was fed by the Lord, they had their agenda. Uh, but their agenda was not the Lord's agenda. Uh, I've just been thinking recently about how it would be, 
how good it would be to go back and visit Israel. It's been a long time since I've been there. The last time I was there was during the Feast of the Tabernacles. And uh, all over Jerusalem, they had these banners. And the banners read, Israel is expecting the coming of the Messiah. Well, whenever Jesus was feeding the 5,000, they were expecting the coming of the Messiah too. Uh, they had a messianic enthusiasm to make Jesus the king. They wanted him to be the warrior king. Jesus didn't want to do that. Remember I said this story is in John chapter 6. Well, in John chapter 6, verse number 11, uh, let's read this together. It says this, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again by himself alone. After he fed the 5,000, you know what they said? This is the king. He's the one we're waiting on. He is the Messiah. Let's crown him right now. And so Jesus said, listen, I don't want to have anything to do with this because I didn't come to be that kind of a savior at this time. That's later, not now. So they tried to crown him. But Jesus had an agenda, and his agenda was this, to die on the cross to provide eternal salvation. That was his agenda. And he wasn't about to let them interfere with what he had planned to do upon the cross for you and me. You know, there's always a temptation to take the easy way. But Jesus would not be deterred. The cross was his destination. To stand between you and me and God's judgment. You and, and me, we are condemned by God, or by God because of our sin. And so when Jesus came to die upon the cross, he came to take your punishment, and he came to take your separation. And so this is why he didn't want to be a king at that time. He would not be diverted. Now, Jesus resisted this earlier in his ministry. Remember when he was tempted in Matthew chapter 4 by the devil? As soon as he jumped into the ministry, the devil came down upon him, Jesus went up into the mountain and he was fasting for 40 days. You know how hard it is to fast? If you miss one day, you're about famished, right? And so Jesus fasted 40 days. The devil came to him and said, listen, why don't you turn these stones into bread? And I think maybe the, first, the thought that came to Jesus' mind is that's not a bad idea. After 40 days, turn these stones into bread. But remember what... Remember what Jesus said to the devil? He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He quotes a quotation from the book of Deuteronomy. Well, Satan said that didn't work. He appealed to the lust of the flesh. Satan always tries to appeal to the lust of our fl flesh. Uh, then he said, okay, I'll try the lust of the eyes. He took him up, the Bible says, onto the pinnacle of the temple, and he said, now you just cast yourself down. And his motivation was for this was so that the people would see him and hail him as their king and Messiah. And so Josephus, the Jewish historian, said the pinnacle of the temple was 450 foot high. Now this building that we're sitting in right now is 120 foot long. 
from that door you came in back there to this wall back here where the cross is 120 foot. The pinnacle of the temple was 450 foot high. Satan says, cast yourself down. And he says, your angels will, will take you up and you'll be a hero. And Jesus came back at him and said, listen, do not tempt the Lord your God. And so he tried the third angle and he said, listen, he appealed to the pride of his life. The, and he said, he took him up into a high mountain and he says, look at all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give them to you if you bow down and worship me. Now, people say, could Satan really make that offer? He could, because the Bible says in John 12, 31, that Satan is the god of this world. And all you have to do is go to the nations of this world, and you see why the Scripture says that. He's the god of this world. He's in charge of the world system, so to speak, right now. And so he says, if you bow down in front of me, I'll, 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 if you worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms. And Jesus said, you shall not worship the Lord you shall only worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And so in the beginning of our Lord's ministry, Satan tried to, to present him as a king to the people to avert, now listen to this, please, to avert the cross. And so Jesus here is now feeding the 5,000, and they have the same thing on their mind. Let's, he's the king. Let's crown him and he'll lead us out of Roman oppression. And Jesus fled that idea because his mind was on you and his mind was on me. And the only way that he could solve our problem is to die upon the cross for our sins. That's the only way. Because man is without a savior until somebody pays the penalty for his sin. And so Jesus looked down through the, the periscope, so to speak, of time, and he saw you, and he said, listen, I want to die upon the cross for them. The disciples went their way. The scripture says here in verse number 45, look at it, he made his disciples get into the boat. He kind of like made them get into the boat. This was urgent. Uh, this was one of their favorite means of exit, the boat. Uh, we can speculate why Jesus did that. Maybe he didn't want his disciples to get swept into this nationalistic movement to make him king. Uh, you know, the way to get to a leader is to get to his associates. You know, the, and uh, maybe he was afraid that, not afraid, but maybe he was concerned that his associates would be influenced by the crowd and they would, uh, they would miss what Jesus was trying to teach them. And they would get caught up in this whole thing, too, of making Jesus the king. Now, we believe that uh, Jesus is God, that he's omniscient, he's all-knowing. Nothing is a surprise to him. We believe that Jesus is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere, all the time, at the same time. He's not absent. We believe that he's omnipotent, he's all-powerful. All he has to do is speak the word, the word and the world waits to hear his commands. Remember in the beginning, he said in the beginning, uh, God said, let there be light, and guess what happened? There was light, the light went on. He saw the light that it was good. Well, in the course of their trip across the lake, they hit the storm, the storms of life. Now, this is our message today. 
You know, it's great to go to the retreat. It's great to have excitement, enthusiasm away from the crowd. But it seems as though to me that every time we have one of these great big spiritual highs, right after that, we hit the wall. We hit the wall. The storms move in. That's the way it happened right here in the scriptures. The storm hit, and look at verse number 48. He saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. The storm hit. Uh, they went from euphoria to terror. Have you ever had that happen? Maybe. Have you ever thought to yourself, you know, things were going so good yesterday, why are things so bad today? Uh, well, that's what, they were, that's what they were facing right here. Jesus is always trying to make us the person he wants us to be. And so there's a reason for this storm. He shows the church that they had to face the storms. These people on this boat probably felt pretty invincible. Remember, he commissioned them to go out and he gave them power over unclean spirits. Can you imagine that? Power over unclean spirits. How would you like to have that? Well, some of you may have that. You may run into one, a situation one of these days. If all of us had that like the disciples had it, we'd go down to the south side on Friday night and clean house, wouldn't we? I mean, they're, they're, they're just all over the place down there. Well, you know, they had power over unclean spirits. Uh, they had power to heal. They were probably feeling like, hey, you know, this thing of following Jesus is really neat. And then they hit the storm. What happened? It all happened so fast. They thought they were going to lose their life. In John's account, the Bible says they were three or four miles out in the water, and Jesus was praying. And who was he praying for? Of course, he was praying for them. Uh, a hard, exhausting day drove Jesus to prayer, not from prayer. Whenever you and I work hard, uh, the thing that we're, we're supposed to get our energy is from God to go on. How many times have you come home tired at night and said, you know, I'm just too tired to have my devotions? Don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, you need them then more than ever. Uh, an exhausting day drove Jesus to prayer, not from prayer. He saw them in their darkest hour. Verse number 48 says, the Lord saw them. You know, so many times I wonder, you know, why, why is God concerned about us? We're, so, we're just like this infinitesimal speck of humanity down here, and God is this tremendous, awesome God who sits upon the throne overseeing the world and everything in it. Psalm 144, verse 3, Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him or the son of man that you are mindful of him. Psalm 34, 15 says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. Now these people were praying in the boat. They were praying to God. You know, when trouble comes, where do, most of the time, where do people turn? They turn to God, right? These rowers didn't know he saw them, but he saw them. Uh, let me just kind of uh, create a comparison here this morning. Parents, where do you want to be when your children are in peril? You want to be helping them out, right? Uh, parents, do you ever want to let your kids out of your sight in our dangerous world? The answer is no. 
I remember when our youngest son was growing up, Steve, he was 10 years behind uh, John and Dan. And I was, uh, of course, I've always been pretty paranoid about our kids, and I always wanted to keep my eye on Steve. When we go to the store, you know, Kmart or something, I'd be like, where's Steve? Where's Steve, you know? And I think every parent ought to be that, especially today, don't you? Don't let your kids out of your sight. And I was all, I never wanted him to be out of my sight. But, you know, kids have a way of sneaking away, you know that? And, uh, and so every now and then when that happened, it was like terror would, would grip my heart. Where's Steve? Where's Steve at? Where's Steve? And, and, you know, you have these terrible thoughts that come into your mind. Well, you know, if we care that much, if we care that much about our kids, how much does God care about us? Do you think he's going to let you out of his sight? You think he's not going to be concerned about where you are every minute of the day? He is. Uh, and back in the, the New Testament times, remember, Jesus was praying for his, his disciples continually, but he was also praying for you and me back in John chapter 17. Let's, uh, do we have that? John 17. Let's read this together. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Let's stop right there. Jesus was praying for the, his disciples, and he said, listen, I'm praying also for those who will hear the word through their testimony. Who is that? That's you and me. And so Jesus was praying for us way back then. And, you know, it's a wonderful thing. And how many times recently have you asked somebody to pray for you? It's a wonderful thing to have the Lord pray for us because he said whenever he prayed uh, in the story of Lazarus, he says, Lord, Father, I know that you always hear me. Now, that's comforting. The Bible says that he's our high priest today. Christ is our advocate. He pleads the believer's cause against the accuser of the brethren, which is Satan. Revelation chapter 12, verse number 10, uh, projects into the future and this is, we think it, this takes place in the middle of the tribulation period. Let's read it together. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. We believe today that Satan and his demons have access to the heavenlies. But we think that in the middle of the tribulation, God is going to cast Satan down upon this earth. And this is going to be his total realm of occupation at that time. The Bible says here that he is the accuser of the brethren all the time, night and day. He's taking you before God and slandering you in the presence of God. Now, we have a good illustration of this in Job, remember? Satan came to God and said, hey, Job just serves you because you give him so much. If you take things away from him, he'll curse you. He's only serving you for what he can get. He was accusing Job. And so, and so these Satan is doing the same thing to you and to me today. But here's the good news. We have an advocate in heaven who is defending us before the Father, and that's Jesus Christ the righteous. He is our lawyer. Now, who do you think is going to win this case? 
you know, here are, the, here are the people in the scenario, and here's the devil, and he, he's accusing you before God, and, and now let's introduce the lawyer, Jesus, and he's going to represent you. Well, Jesus is on their side. They're out in the water. They're struggling. And so here he comes in answer to their prayer. And uh, they, first of all, think he's a ghost because they've never seen anybody walk on water before. And then he says to them, uh, don't be afraid. Those are wonderful words. And they're words that transcend time. And they go from that time to this time, and that's God's message to you and me. Whenever we face the storms of life, God says, listen, don't be afraid. And it's interesting that, remember between the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, and the New Testament, the book of Matthew, there were 400 years of silence. And the words that broke the silence were the words of an angel to the priest of Zechariah in the New Testament, and you know what they were? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. That's God's message to his people. Don't be afraid. Now, that's a wonderful message because we are afraid, right? Whenever we have all these horrific things that come our way, it strikes fear to our heart. God just keeps saying, listen, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm here with you. Now, Whenever Jesus got in the boat, what happened? The storm was calmed. When Jesus arrives, he brings peace. The reason why so many people do not have the peace that they need in their life is because Jesus is at a far distance from them. When he comes to them in close proximity, there's a peace that passes all human understanding that he gives us. You know, we don't have to wait for Jesus to come on the water to us today. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's a wonderful thing. You never have to face the storm alone. You never have to wonder, is Jesus thinking about me? And here's the reason why. Because when we are saved, he gives to us his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit lives within us, and he is just a breath away. He is as close as our very breath. He's with us always. John 16, 7 says this. Let's read it. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Back in that day, they were always looking for Jesus. Where's Jesus? We need him. We need him. Uh, today, we don't have to do that. We have him. When we accept Christ as our Savior, he comes into our heart and he's with us forever. Isn't that a wonderful thought? No matter what you face, some of you people are facing some real, real hard things. And I mean, it's scary, very scary. Uh, you have the Holy Spirit in your heart. He's with you. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. John 14, 16 is another good verse. Let's read this. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you for how long? Forever, right? Now, what do we, what do we learn from this story? 
there are just a few things I'd like to summarize. First of all, the closest followers of Jesus were not immune from the storms of life. I know that there is a perception that if you follow the Lord, you're going to like sit on a cloud and float around and look down at everybody else and their problems. That's not true. That's not true. Christians who follow the Lord very closely have as many difficulties as anybody else. I mean, as far from the world's angle, we live in a broken world. We live in broken bodies, sinful bodies. Uh, we, have, we have to react this, to all the stuff that those who do not follow Christ react to. And here are the closest followers of the, of the Lord, and they're out there the day after their greatest spiritual experience they've had so far, and they're wondering whether they're going to live through the experience or not. And by the way, probably all the people, or at least most all the people on that boat died as a martyr for Christ. And so the conception is that if you follow the Lord, everything is going to go good for you. It doesn't work. It doesn't play out. Another thing we learn from this story is the fact that he sees, he sees us in every situation. Whenever you are in your darkest night, I want you to realize that God's eye is on you because you're his child if you've accepted him as your Savior. Now, if you haven't accepted him as your Savior, uh, you're in trouble. You're in trouble, not only here in this life, but in the life to come. Whenever he came to these people, he, uh, he brings the calm. In John's account, whenever Jesus got into the boat, the Bible says the boat arrived at its destination. Just like that. I guess Jesus said, enough of this water. We're out of here. As soon as Jesus got in the boat, they arrived at their destination. I think this, there is a destination for every storm that comes into your life. There is a reason, something God is trying to show you. Uh, whenever you come out of that storm, you're going to be changed. You're supposed to be closer to the Lord. You're supposed to be more focused on the Lord and His work after you come out of the storm. All of us face those dark times. Every single one of us face those dark times. But there's a reason behind those things. It's to get our attention. It's to teach us something more that we haven't learned before. You know, the Lord is not only with us at the retreat when we're all having a miracle. It's great to have those times, isn't it? But he's also with us in the darkest storm when we need a miracle. And how many times recently have you been on your face before God and said, God, if I don't get a miracle, I can't go on. It's not going to work. Well, the Lord is with you in the high times and the low times. Now, there is a little part of this story that I've left out this morning. Remember when Jesus came up to the boat and they thought it was a ghost there was somebody riding in the boat that wanted to get out of the boat. What was his name? Peter, right? I called him Crazy Peter in the first service. I hope somebody wasn't offended. Crazy Peter. Sorry, Peter. He was always impetuous is the word. He always was like jumping out before he thought. 
And he decided, you know, here's the Lord out here. I guess he wanted to get out and walk on the water too. And so he jumped out of the boat and he started out walking on the water but, uh, and he did pretty good for a while. But what happened? The Bible says that whenever he saw the waves, he started to go down and then he reached out and he says, Lord, save me. And the Lord did. And he probably thought, I'm not going to do that again. Enough of that walking on water. I'm going to leave that up to the Lord. But you know, whenever he went to go down, he was watching the waves. And I am really convinced today of this, that we really spend too much time torturing ourselves watching the waves and not enough time strengthening ourselves, focusing on Christ. Because, you know, we have that choice. You know, we can go out of here today and we can see all the waves coming at it and we can, that's all we could think about. And I'll tell you what, it puts you under. It puts you under. But if you have an alive, a vibrant walk with Christ, it's amazing how the Lord brings you up and makes you strong through the problems of your life. And so let's try to do this this week, okay? Rather than being preoccupied and obsessed with all the things that we have to deal with, let us be preoccupied and obsessed with Christ. And I'll tell you what, I'll make you a guarantee that he will pour into you his strength and his power as you do that to get through the storms of your life. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, I wonder how many people here in our church this morning are just struggling really bad with all of the issues. They're all legitimate issues, I'm sure, but they've just pushed you under and you just have no victory in these things. I can't help believe today that God has help for you. I cannot believe today that if you start focusing on Christ, that the peace and the joy that you left behind somewhere along the road will return to you. Because it's so easy to say, you know, I have to do this and I have to do that and I have to work on this and who's going to do this if I don't and, and I don't have any time to read the Bible and I haven't prayed recently and, and essentially your spiritual life has just dried up and, and you're out there alone and you're in the boat and you're trying to get somewhere and you're not getting there. That's the problem. Uh, but the solution, of course is to be preoccupied with Christ, uh, to be obsessed with Him, to have a time each day in His Word and a time each day that you sit down and you converse with Christ and you let nothing infringe, encroach upon that time that you become obsessed with Christ. Dear Lord, as we uh, come now to the end of the service, I pray, Lord, that you'll take 
all the pieces of this story and apply them exactly where they're needed in our church today. We know that in every single person there are trials and troubles that come our way. But Lord, you have promised to go with us. You have your eye upon us. I pray that you'll give us victory in this situation today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our invitation song. And as we sing together this song, if you'd like to come and pray about anything that's going on in your life or the life of a friend, I, I want to invite you to do that in this invitation time.